Yes. Sharing the gospel. And like I said last night, we've been doing this all summer. Now, I realize that now we've come into an area of assembly where you are very active in sharing the gospel. And I semi regularly go out and go to the various places and you can call you ready. That's all the encouraging here of that, what God is doing there. You know, the problem with this is, wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody Wouldn't it be wonderful? And, and here again, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not putting anybody down, but wouldn't it be wonderful if, who's in charge of you Are you in charge of that, Randy? Wouldn't it be wonderful, Randy, if, if one on Saturday afternoon you got a call and said, I'd like to be in there, and you said, you know what, I just can't take it. i got too many people now. Wouldn't that be a wonderful problem? Um, Three weeks we need to do the help us with two people are leaving. Three weeks you need two, two, two people to step up. All right, we'll have them ready. But you know that's that's really what we ought to be doing. You know, I, I uh, and just as I was saying that, uh, passage comes to mind that that that. Uh, Paul would write to, to the church of Thessalonica. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes to them, and, and uh, beginning in verse 5, uh, he says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. And in power and in the Holy Ghost, in much assurance. We have, first of all, we have been given a, a, a gospel, but we've been given a very powerful gospel, haven't we? We've been given a gospel that actually changes lives, or can change lives, right? Uh, and, and it's a power. And and when we when we come to Christ, um, that that Spirit of God who who then takes up residence within us. That spirit of God then enables us, empowers us to, to serve. And, and what we need to do is we need to actually, as we said last night, twice in Romans 6, the Apostle Paul reminds that we need to yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness. We need to yield ourselves to serve. And, and so the power is there. And the ability is there. Sometimes rolling hard isn't there. And and we put we put other things at a higher point. Other things are, are more important. And and we encounter that more and more and more in just in society in general. Uh, where the things of the war really today I would say have a hard time say keeping coming in second. They usually come in Far down the list as the list is, they'll usually be at the bottom. For many years now, I've, I've been to comment that if there's a choice between an activity at church and anything else, an activity at church or anything else, guess who wins 11 out of 10 times? Anything else. 
equal weight. And, and it's very easy for us as believers today to just pick up and do without any real thought of, of who we are in Christ. And, and, and where we where our where our, our heart is, where our heart ought to be. Um, you know, in Colossians 1, Paul says we're to set our affection on things where above, not on things of the earth. And, and I, I firmly believe, and I'm not talking to you and not myself. I firmly believe that we, as a body of Christ, have have certainly attempted to keep our feet in both, on both sides of the aisle. And, and try to enjoy, enjoy life, live life to the fullest. And then we'll squeeze in God with the while when we have fun. And, and of course, then, you know, both followers. I have to, I have to go there. I just have to. God understands. And you know, I think when a day is coming, when God's going to reveal to us a new life, you know, I never understood that. I never understood that. Um, and I'll tell you what, there are no crowns of reward for how many sporting events we attend in life. For how? How much supper were you bought? Or how much, what's the other one baking? Every chef stuff. My wife went to one, one of those things one time. She came home with this thing that's about that long, and it was the shape of a star, and you would make a loaf of bread in it, and then you dump it out, and it would be a star. Right? So she followed directions, she made the loaf of bread, she baked it. Then I had to go out and say, No, you can't throw that away. We paid too much for that. <laughs> I don't care if you never use it again, but we're not throwing it away. I can't get the bread out of it. It's stuck in the... <laughs> coming back to our text. Uh, it says, for our gospel came not on you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and in much authority. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us. So in the previous verse, it says, you know, you, you know what manner of men we were in front of you. In other words, what he's saying is, you saw our example. You saw our example. You know what motivates us. You know what we did. You know the, of our dedication. You know of our commitment. Uh, and I think you can't help but study the life of the Apostle Paul and see someone who was committed his task. Committed to the point of, of uh, torture for, for the cause of Christ. And, and so you saw that. And in verse 6 he said, and he became followers of me. What did these Thessalonian believers become? They, they became little Pauls, didn't they? And they were now, they saw his example and so now they in turn are going out. They, in turn, are getting busy uh, for Christ, for the sake of the gospel. And then you look at this, it says, You became followers of me and of the Lord, having received the word in much what? Affliction. 
You know, the Church of God has actually, in history, known its greatest periods of growth during periods of affliction. Periods of affliction. And you think back to just the video we saw the other one. And you remember Fox's Book of Martyrs? You know, the, the Church had tremendous growth during that period. During that period where people were being burned at the stake, where people were being tortured for the cause of Christ. Tortured not because they did anything except believe and, and seek to follow the Lord. And follow the Lord in their actions and in their deeds and, and doing things. And then like getting the word of God out or preaching the gospel or whatever it was. And they were tortured. Uh, the Queen of England sought to kill all of the Protestants in, in the country of England. And she wiped out a lot of them. Burned them. Killed them. And, and the church grew. The church grew. And, and the church prospered in Rome. During a period of time when, when Christians were fed to the lions. Or literally, literally, hung on poles and set on fire for street fights. And yet at the same time, underground, the church grew and grew and grew and grew. And these people here, in some way, there's there's affliction. He doesn't go into it, he doesn't say what it is, but there's affliction. And as Paul suffered affliction for, for the sake of Christ, these people probably were suffering the same thing for the same reason, maybe from the same group. But he says here, having received the word in much affliction, the joy of the Holy Ghost, look at verse 7, so that he became examples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia. What was Paul? Paul was an example they followed, was he not? Paul was an example they followed. Now what, what did they become? They had become examples for others to follow. And Paul was writing and commending them for that. So that you were examples of, to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So these people were examples to the other believers. That we all need to get busy. There is a job, there is a task that needs to be done. And we need to get busy. And you saw what I did, and you did the same thing. So, but what was the result? He says in verse 8, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not speak what? Anything. Wouldn't that really be something if, if, if somebody came into Oshkosh and knocked on a door to city limits? And said, I'm here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you. And that person said, Paul, the folks from over there have already been here. The folks from over there, you know, the, the sad thing is, I don't know, maybe you don't have it too much around here, but I would imagine many people would say, Paul, oh, well, those two fellows from the Mormon church were here. Do you have a lot of that here? Not, not a whole lot here. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love that. On Sunday afternoon, they knock on my door, and boy, we could have a wonderful discussion. I love that. 
Some people say, no, 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 don't invite them in, give them coffee, let them sit down, hold their attention, you know. Uh, and Jehovah's Witness, I will say this one time, years ago, probably back in 74, 75, probably 74, I'm sitting in our living room, and uh, I was uh, six years old at that time. <laughs> and uh, I'm sitting in our living room, and a knock comes to the door. It's a Saturday morning. Saturday morning. A knock comes to the door, and it's it's a woman and a young girl. I mean, a young girl. And they're Jehovah's Witnesses. And she said, may I talk to you? And I said, yes, you may. May I get my watch? And she said, oh, fine. That's why I went to my watch. And so I'm talking to her. She's telling me this stuff. And I'm, I'm reading the Word of God. I'm sharing the Word of God with her. And she's getting frustrated. And you can just see it. She's getting more and more frustrated and irritated with me. And my response to her, and finally she said this. And this is the most convicting thing that anybody's ever really said to me. What it was? I knocked on your door, you didn't knock on mine. She was right. And I, I sit one time in a church, you know, you look at the Mormons and you look at the Jehovah's Witnesses, and I'm sure there's others, but those two are very prominent. You look at the zeal they have for their faith in their God. And, and you think, they have a zeal for a false God and a false hope that we as believers who have a true God and a true hope and a true gospel don't have. And when I said that at church one time, a fellow said to me, yeah, but they're working to get their, their they're working, doing their work so they can get to heaven. Like, that made it okay now. And I said, wait a second. Yeah, they are. And they'll die and they'll go to hell. But are you are you knocking on door? No. Well, they are. And they're spreading a false gospel. You have the truth and you're not. And you're not. And, and you look at the, and they do have they have a great seat. Those Mormon boys, they'll give what, three years of their life to come into a city and knock on door. Uh, and and uh, you know, I think that we need a little bit of that zeal in, in our in our move in our move in our our uh, group, whether it's here or anywhere, to take the gospel and really be ready to share with others. Why? Because we live in a nation that what desperately needs Jesus Christ. A nation that predominantly is on its way to that. On way the majority of people in this country are on their way to hell. We talked the other day about how true believers in this country represent about nine or ten percent of people, seven to ten percent of people in this country. And I don't know if I said it then, but I'll say it again. You know what that represents? Who that represents? That represents that means that nine out of every ten people you meet on any given day could be lost. Nine out of ten people anywhere in this country could be lost. Could be lost. These people had a seal, a proper seal, 
and they they just canvass the area and, and spread the gospel. Spread the gospel. Uh, and, and you know what? That's 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 the job. That's the task that God has given to each one of us, isn't it? Isn't it? That's the task that He's given to us. Second Corinthians five eighteen to twenty. If you don't want to look it up, I, I told I told someone earlier this time. I'm breaking the rule, my own rule. I'm breaking my own rule for this powerful because I hate it. Literally hate it when a speaker gets up and has a PowerPoint. Absolutely everything he wants to read is right there, and I'm thinking I can read. Shut. <laughs> Why don't you just print it out, hand it out, and we'll all go home? But I'm doing uh, But here, and, and, and uh, of course, 17 to 18, uh, talking about the work of Christ and the fact that he has, he has given to us, who's the us? On, on three, everybody say, me. What's your three? So he has given to you the ministry, and the word ministry is not passive, it's active. This is not something that we sit at home and, and do for for uh, you know this is this is this is active. It's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. What is that? Well, he goes on to explain that. That God, that's the Father, was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Let me stop and say it again. Every time I use that word lately, I have to, uh, right now, I've got to say reconciliation and salvation are two different things. Reconciliation and salvation are two different things. The entire world is reconciled. But the entire world is not saved. But what reconciliation does is it makes the world savable. It makes the world savable. Without being reconciled, you can't be saved. You can't be saved. And so, what was Christ doing on the cross? He was doing everything necessary to make it possible for you and I to be saved. And in doing everything possible so that you and I could be saved, he reconciled the world unto himself. He brought the entire world to a position where they all could be saved. And, as he writes to Timothy, it's God's desire that what? All men be saved. It's God's desire that all men be saved. And because that's his desire, he's done everything necessary that that can be. There's nothing else needs to be done. How many of you believe salvation is by works? Anybody else? You're the only one that ever raises their hand. Oh, at least raised their hand. All right, very good. I believe salvation is only by works. Only by works. And I also believe that Jesus Christ has done every one of them. Be honest, I, I, I'm always the only one who raises her hand. Must be honest. She raised it. 
that's, that's, that's the truth. He's done all the work. What more, what more can we do? Isn't that why he says that when we come to Christ, we are then complete in him? When you're complete in Christ, can you become any more complete? No. When you complete, you're there, right? You're there. And, and the only reason we're there is because all the work, all the work is done. All the work is done. All we have to do is believe. I, I, I think you and I were talking last night about, about that. And, and, uh, and uh, now it's just so come on. What were we talking about? The faithfulness of Christ. Yes. Without his faithfulness, where would we be? And, and we were talking about that last night. We are saved by grace through faith. And, and what you have is you have a meeting. You have the faithfulness of Christ. The faithfulness of Christ. Faithful to that eternal plan of God of redemption, of redeeming the world. Jesus Christ was the redeemer, correct? He was the redeemer. He willingly came into this world, laid down his life, shed his blood and died, to pay the price of what? Our sin. Alright? And, and he redeemed us. He's our redeemer. He paid the price of our redemption. And so he did that work. And it's his faithfulness. And we're saved by faith. And so what you have is, we have our faith. When our faith meets his faithfulness, we're saved. We're saved. And, and we talked last night about the fact that it's not just an acceptance of an historical fact. How many people in the world, how many people in the world believe Jesus died? A lot. How many people in the world believe that he was buried and rose again? Why do they believe that? Why do they believe that? What's that? Well, both what? Most churches. Okay. But, but outside of church, it's even shown to be a historical fact of history. Alright? It's an historical fact of history. So, I accept as an historical fact of history that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Am I saved? No. No. Well, that's, just an, that's just a fact. That's just a fact. My salvation is basically when I put my faith and my trust in that finished work. In that finished work. When I, when I get in the wheelbarrow, we talked about last night, I put my faith, my whole trust is in nothing, nothing, except the fact that he died. God died for me. He died for me. That God was buried, that my sins have been taken away, that God rose from the dead to, to, to bring about my justification, my right standing before God. When I truly, when I truly believe, this is not just something accepted as well. It's true. Okay, you can go outside right now and say, "Well, the sky's blue." Okay, fine. I accept that. I accept that. But that's that's not saving faith. Saving faith, saving belief, is is really deep down inside. It is that which changes the person, and it puts all of that faith. Trust in the work of Christ. And when he does that, his faith picks up with Christ's faithfulness. And at that very moment, 
It is the power of God for the salvation. At that very moment, we have, you know, the big, big bang here. When our faith takes his faith, bang! We're then in Christ. We're then in Christ. And, and he's given that. And so the, the, the way that Christ was in the world, reconciling the world to himself, what he was doing there was he was doing all the work necessary that you and I would be saved. All the work has been done. All the work has been done. Nothing else needs to be done. That, uh, and so he was reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing there. Who's there? Who's the there? The world. He's reconciling the world, not imputing there trespasses unto who's that? The world. Uh, under them. And then has given and committed unto us. Who's that? Who's that? Okay, that's okay. That's you. That's the believer. So what you have here, you have here, is an unsaved. Where's that? Unsaved world. Correct. Correct. Here you have an unsaved world. In those three words. And the plan is that he's given to us, us, who trusted in Christ, this ministry of reconciliation. To take the word, the word of reconciliation, then, to take the word of reconciliation, or the message of reconciliation, to an unsaved world. An unsaved world. And, and, that's, and in a way... Go back to Romans 3. I think we read that last night. Yeah, we did. When we were clarifying the word all. Romans 3.22. Romans 3.22. It says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ. And there's the faith of Christ. Matches our faith. Alright? Um, and so, he says here, by the faith of Jesus Christ, unto who? Unto all. Who's the all? The unsaved world. Right? Unto all, but upon all. Now it's qualified. What's the qualifier? It's, it's all who believe. It's all who believe. Jesus Christ has died for the world. The effect of that is put upon those who believe. Those who accept that truth. And it is this truth that he says, then now then we are ambassadors. What's an ambassador? A representative of one nation to another. Correct? Alright? So just very briefly, Paul says in the book of Philippians that our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. So if our citizenship is in heaven, what's that make us here? Aliens. Legal. But we're aliens. And, and, and this is something I think a lot of times we forget is that who is the God of this world? Who is the God of this age? Satan. Satan. So we are here, but we are behind enemy lines. This is not a neutral world. This is not, 
this is not uh, I put religious neutral. It's a, it's a satanic world. This is not. It's a demonic world. Uh, read Romans chapter Ephesians chapter six. The principalities of the air. This is a demonic world. We are living here. Satan is the god of this age in which we live. And and and, and people out there are look at Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. And I gotta hurry none of this. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at that. Verse 1. And you had me quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. And so, and you. Who's the you? That's the believer. So, what Paul is doing here is he's really looking at us and showing us what we were. What we were. Not what we are, but what we were. What we were. And, he, and so he says here, and you have he quickened to what? Were dead. We were dead in our sin and our trespasses. Where in time past, what's the time past here? What? Before I became a believer. What I was before I became a believer. Then in time past, I walk, and there's that word walk, walk, talk. That, that, that word walk means how I conduct myself. And that's, you know, that's what the song is. I can say I'm a Christian, but if I don't live like a Christian, then it, it, it doesn't mean anything. And I've, I've told people before, in church, I've asked if, if you aren't going to live like Christ or live like a believer, please don't tell anybody to come here to church. Don't tell them that. Just, just be quiet. Just be quiet. But he says, where in time past you walk according to. And what according to is, is like patterned after or like. Right? Uh, to the course of this world, this age in which we live, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? Think. Uh, uh, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's the law. That's the unsaved. They are they are the children of disobedience. Among them also we all had, right? That's talking about our past again. This is what we had. Our conversation or our conduct in times past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by our very nature, by our very nature, the children of wrath. The children of wrath, even as others. Even as the law. Why do why do why do people naturally do bad things? It's their nature. It's their nature. Uh, and, and, and he's talking here. This is what we were. This is not who we are. And today we are we are not that. We are representatives for Christ. Representatives for Christ. And, and he'll go on, I beseech you therefore as you stand in Christ's stead. What's that mean? 
We're standing in the very place of Christ. We're standing in the very place of Christ. And, and, and so, again, as we, as we illustrated last night, when we walk, and, and or when we talk, and when we walk, it all ought to demonstrate Christ living in us. Right? I mean, is that right or wrong? It ought to demonstrate Christ living within us. And, and uh, so I, I always say our, our, our walk and our talk or our lips and our actions need to be one. Need to be one. Uh, and so, so that's where we are. So now let's see where we should be. So, to create the world, God only had to do one thing. And that was to speak. And, and, and we can look, you can write these verses down as words, but we're not going to take time to. We know Genesis 1 and verse 3, it says, And God what? said. And, 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 and God said, and God spoke, and it came into being. It came into being. He didn't have to do anything but to speak. And, and it came. Here he breathed out. He breathed out. So to create the world, God only had to speak. Saving the lost is a gigantic task. It cost the father his son, son's life. Very often when you, people will say, how are you saved? I'm saved by merely by belief, by merely trusting in that finished work of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. And they say, that's too easy. That's cheap grace. And I've heard that many times. That's cheap grace. Believe you me, it ain't cheap. It ain't cheap. What's it cost me? Nothing. What did it cost the Father? Everything. 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 Um, look at, we were in 2 Corinthians 5, but go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And this is an area where I know I spoke here from several years ago on this. I, this is an area that I don't think we as believers totally wrap our brains around. And, and, that, and therefore, I think we lose out on a lot. Romans chapter 5. For when we were yet without, verse 6, without strength, in due time, what? Christ died. Christ died. For who? Young God. You know that person that says God could never love me? I've been too, I've done too much. I've just done too much. God can never love me. Doesn't Romans 5, 6 kind of speak to that? And Christ died for who? For good? No. He died for the ungodly. The ungodly. Of course, understand something. In Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, what does Paul go to great lengths to point out? The what? How wrong we all are. He points out that we are the ungodly, correct? Mankind is the ungodly. And so he goes through that, and of course you have Romans 3 and 4, and then he comes to 5 and says Christ died for the ungodly. Anybody reading Romans 1, 2, and 3 knows exactly who he's talking about. Talking about them. Christ died for them. As bad, as bad, as bad as the person is, and you go to Romans 1, 2, and 3, and, and you'll find out it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. 
and yet Christ died for them. For, uh, verse, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet for venture for a good man, someone even dare to die. Right? But he didn't die for good people. Why? Well, Romans 3 says, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. He didn't die for good people. He didn't die for the righteous. Why? Because Romans chapter 3 says, there's none righteous, no, not one. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. You go from ungodly to sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And, and what is that wrath? What is that wrath? I would say that's the wrath of hell. We are delivered from the wrath of hell in Christ. In Christ. But through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of the Son, much more now being reconciled, we shall be saved. How? By his life. By his life. So, you look at that, and, and there's no such thing as cheap grace. And, and I, I shouldn't do it. We got a little bit of time. Not a lot. Look over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I love the book of Philippians. And in our Bible study hour that we broadcast, we've been going through the book of Philippians. And I actually, this morning, I recorded Sunday night broadcast. But look at Philippians chapter three, uh, chapter two, verse five. Paul, in verse three, Paul, or chapter three, Paul, in, or chapter two, Paul is talking about uh, disunity. He's talking about those who think more highly of themselves than they ought to think, and how we need to lift up others and consider others better than ourselves. So he comes down to verse five. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. So what he's doing, he's saying this. This is, we all need to have a mind of humility. And let's look at the mind of Christ as a humble mind. All right? And so you come there, uh, so he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who? What about Christ Jesus? Uh, being in the form God. Who is Jesus Christ? God. Who he is, right? He's God. Right? Being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This is not something I have to cling to uh, at, the, at the expense of everything else. What you have there is his willingness, his faithfulness to humble himself. To humble himself. He didn't have to cling to that. He was willing to veil that and humble himself, which is the, the, what Paul's talking about here, humility. How did he do it? He made himself of no reputation. Now, that's an act of humility for God. Correct? A lot of people have a, time, a hard time being humble. No, I don't. I'm proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. All right. 
are dirty. No, but we all have a problem with being really humbling ourselves. But think about think about God coming down in the form of a man. That's humility, correct? You agree with that? That's humility. That's humility. But he says, but made himself of their reputation and took upon himself the the form, the outward appearance of uh, of a servant. Of a servant. Now, just for time's sake, I don't want to go into a lot of detail. Jesus Christ never ceased being God. He never ceased being God. He came into this world. And he veiled his deity. He hid that deity. But he remained God. But he took upon himself our form, our fashion, and I, I, I just like to say, he put on his glory pants. He and, and he looked like what? He looked like God. And, and what did he do? He took upon himself the form of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. Now, the one thing, when I read these passages, I'm always reminded of the fact of who's doing the work here? Who's doing the work here? Who? That's too broad a Christ is doing the work. He's doing this to himself, is he not? He's taking upon, he's making himself there, which, which shows to me he's, he goes beyond Christmas. Right? I mean, you ask a lot of people, when did Jesus begin? What will they tell you? When he was born. That's just his incarnation. That's just when he took upon himself flesh and came into this world. But he always was. In fact, isn't he the creator? He's there at the very beginning. Even before the beginning, he already was. He already was. And, and so here, it says, He came into this world, He took upon Himself the form of a man, and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself. Whoa! What do you call everything up until this point? Isn't it humbling, 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 humbling? God, doing all these things, humbling Himself, God, now is a servant. And you know that word servant is translated elsewhere, slave. He didn't come down, he could have come down and become a lawyer. That, that position is taken by the other no. But uh, but he could have come down and been anything, but he came down and was a servant. Just a lowly servant. And and, and the next result of the fact that he then it says, then it says, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. And became obedient unto death. Obedient unto death. What in the world does that mean? God, in the flesh, became obedient unto death. And when you, when you think about that, a lot of times, a lot of times when you say, what did he died for us. He died for us. Now, but see, now we go back to somewhat of a cheap phrase. He just died for us. 
go back and you think about what he did in his humility, humbling himself, coming down as God and humbling himself and coming here as a servant. But he didn't stop. He didn't stop. He would willingly allow himself to be tortured. Tortured. When they, when they scourged him, they literally skinned him alive. Literally skinned him alive. That's what the scourging was designed to do. Just tear the flesh right off the body. A, a mere man with God. You know the scripture where it says 40 saved one? You know why they saved one? <laughs> because one more they died. They just figured one more and they're dead. So they just stop here. More agony. But they scourged him. In fact, the word of God says that you wouldn't even know. He was so lost that you wouldn't even know he was. Remember the movie, The Passion of the Christ? Remember when Christ was on the cross? Remember how bloody that was? But in spite of how bloody that was, you could look at that face and you knew that's Jim Why? Am I serious? Am I serious? All the makeup in the world didn't do the job. Failed to do the job. They skinned that man off. And, and then they took him and they would spit on him and they would laugh and mock him and they would put that crown of thorns in the end. Susan actually, Susan has some of those thorns from Israel. But they're about that long. And they made that sword and they jammed that down on his head. <clears throat> and all of that, what did he say? Again, he said nothing. And then they would take him, and they would take him up to Calvary's hill. And there, he would lie down on the cross and allow them to drive those nails in his hands and his feet. And he stopped and think of the agony. Think of the pain. Think of the suffering. And why was he doing that? doing that for something he had done? No, he was doing that for something we Something we And they took him and they raised that cross and they put it on the ground. Now, when we were in Nazareth, they say oh, in Israel they were telling us that tradition says that the cross would have only been maybe six or seven feet tall. That the person would have hung down at eye level. That would have allowed the uh, accusing parties, they would slap them and mock them and torture them even more on the cross. It wasn't hanging way up there looking down. But we don't know. But that's just what they said there in that. But anyway, there he is on that cross. And all of that torture, all of that agony, all of that pain, he said, not a word. Not a word. But then, on the cross, on the cross, the Father 
or other verses, put 2 Corinthians 5. The Father takes, and he takes our sin, and figuratively speaking, he put his hand on his son's head, and our sins were imputed to his son. Remember the scapegoat we talked about last night? He is our, he is our sin sacrifice. And God the Father, who his own son, took our sin, and took all of our sin, and put his hand on his son, and all of the sin of the world was imputed to his son. And then he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? This is God. This is God being totally humiliated for me. And the Father would place our sin on His Son. And then the Word of God says His Father turned His head. He couldn't even look on His, on his own Son. Why? Because His Son had become ugly by the scourging? No. His son has become ugly in our sin. Our sin. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The end of that passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God the Father laid on his son our sin. His son became our sin. And it says in verse 21, For he, that's the Father, hath made him that's the Son, to be what? To be sin, who what? You know sin. The sinless one became us. Became us. And he shed his blood and died. In fact, he shed his blood to the point that when they drove that spear into the side, what came out? Why? Then he cried out, It is finished. What was finished? What was finished? Was the job he came to do. Jesus Christ came into the world to do what? And there was only one way that could be done. There was only one way that could be done. And that was through the shedding of his blood as the spotless lamb of God. The spotless lamb of God. And Jesus Christ shed his blood and died, and he cried out, It is finished. And when he did that, the word of God says he bowed his head. You go back to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. It says in verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Obedient unto death. 
upset me to be obedient unto death. The Word of God says that death is the result of what? Sin. So he who knew no sin made sin for us. And having been made sin, he then became obedient to death. And he died our death. He died our death and paid the price of our sin. He says he became obedient unto death, even the death of the It was far more involved in this message of God's grace and God's love and the gospel of grace. There's far more involved in that in our own salvation, our own lives, than just He died for us. That is such, in reality, that is such a trite statement. A trite statement. It doesn't even begin to tell us. And when we think that what He did for us, we, there's no way, no way could that be considered chief grace. No way. The cost was greater than any of us would be willing to pay. Any of us would be willing to pay. Christ willingly offered himself on the altar of sacrifice for our sins. For our sins. And, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, when the priest would minister, the priest stood ministering daily, day after day after day after day after day, ministering for the sins of the nation of Israel. Ministering in that day after day after day. Nothing. And he's just covering over sin. Covering over sin. But when Jesus Christ shed his blood and died. And he took that blood into the holy of holies in the heavens. What did he do? He sat down. And that's given in contrast to that ongoing ministry of the priesthood in Israel. That when he offered his gift. His offering, he sat down. Why? Because it was done. It was finished. It was finished. What more work can we add to that? None. 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 And go back to 2 Corinthians 5. I want to just touch on the very end of that verse. And then we'll have the offering. Verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us, for sin for us who knew no sin, that we, now who's that? That's the belief. We might be made what? The righteousness of God in Christ. Say, say to people, you know what you have to, to be to go to heaven? have to be in order to go to heaven. You have to be as good as God. You have to be as good as God is good. Anything short of that is unacceptable. Anything short of that is unacceptable. You have to be as good as God is good. Now that's a pretty high bar. 
very few of them. <laughs> but what's he said? That we, who's the we? That's the believer. We might be made the righteousness of God. Where? The moment we trust Christ, the moment we put our faith and trust in that finished work on our behalf, the fact that we realize that through his death, burial, and his resurrection, it's not just three words, is it? It's not just death, burial, and resurrection. There's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? When we believe what Christ truly did for us, at that very moment, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit takes us and he places us where? In Christ. And the moment I'm placed in Christ, what do I become? I become as good as God is good. How does God see me? In Christ. How does God see us? Righteous. How does God see us? Perfect. He sees us righteous. Holy. That's how he sees us today. In Christ. Because when he looks at me, he doesn't see me. What's he seeing? Because I, Christ now lives in us. Correct? You know what it says? Christ now lives in us. This message, this message that we have for the world is not just some simple little trite statement. Believe this and you'll be saved. This little statement that we give to people, there's a great cost to that statement. There's a great truth to that statement. And, and, and we need to let you know Christ died for you. Christ died for us. He was our sacrifice for us. And you know, in contrast to this, what's he asked of us? He became our sacrifice. What's he asked for us? Let me put it this way. He became our death sacrifice. Correct? What's he asked for us? He asked us to be living sacrifice. Romans 12, verse 1. He asked us to be living sacrifice. We have died for him. He died for us. Now we are to live for him. Live for him. Now the cooperation of every saved person is called for in order to witness of his redeeming grace. It's now our responsibility to take that message of the cross to a world because it's the only answer. It's the only answer for, for what they're looking for. For what they're looking for. The world is desperately looking for something, right? Something. I mean... Is it found in money? No. No. Uh, you know, yeah, Elon Musk, world's wealthiest man. Right? The world's wealthiest man. What's he in the process of building right now? What's he building? What? Well, he's building a space for truth. But right now, he is actively involved in, in, in circling the earth with satellites. For what reason? Well, I'm going to make the internet available to everybody. And only $100 a month. 
Who's going to get the hundred dollars a month? Not me. But but you know, so these people have all kinds of money. But what do they do every day when they get up? They go to work because they don't have enough anymore. People look everywhere for some sort of satisfaction in life. I'm li I'm missing something. I'm missing something. There's something else out there, and they don't know what it is. And they're being blinded by Satan. They're being blinded by Satan to the truth of the gospel. You know what the Word of God says? The God of this age blinds their eyes unless they hear the truth of the gospel. Satan is blinding people's eyes to the truth of the gospel, and, and, and it's out there, and the only way they will know about it is if we tell them. If we talk. If we share. If we share. And, and, and they desperately need it. They desperately need it. They don't, sometimes they don't know it, and they'll be you know, The average person hears the gospel seven to nine times before they actually make the decision. Seven to nine times. When you share the gospel with somebody and they say, no, I'm not interested. Okay? You may be number one. You may be number three. But I truly believe God works to bring the gospel to you. That's his desire, isn't it? It's his desire. And, and, and again, Bernie and I were talking last night. God created us with a will. You know, why did God make man? Why did God make man in the first place? To have a relationship, for fellowship. He made man. Now, had he made man as a mere robot, and man, oh, I love you, you know, what good would that be? There's, no, there's nothing there. He made man with the ability to choose, with the, what we call a free will, a free will. And what did man do with it? Turns back on God, right? But nonetheless, God has continually reached out to man, hasn't he? Continually reached out to man. And in every age, in every dispensation, God has provided a way for his chosen to come to him, as he wants. So from Adam to Abraham, he didn't have true Gentiles, he just had people. Did he provide a way? Yes, he did. Beginning with Abraham on, did he provide a way? Yes, he did. And today, is he providing a way? Yes. He always provides a way. Now, the way may, may vary, but he always provides a way. Why? Because he wants man to choose him so that he can have a relationship with man that man desires to have with him. Anything short of that would just be a fraud. Would just be a fraud. No, no truth to that. I love you because I have no other choice. Right?
and she is very blessed too. The greatest responsibility God ever laid upon the believer is to lead souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't save anybody. Our task is not saving anybody. Our task is to share with them what Christ has done for us. And, and that's it. And, and if, if we are faithful, if we are faithful in carrying that out, that is what's plus to God. You can't, you can't make anybody get saved. You can't, you, can, you, you put it out there, and you do it in a variety of ways. You know, um, I went to a conference many years ago, and, and I've done this once or twice. I didn't have this fortune that they did. But they were talking unique ways that they led people to Christ. So one morning, phone rings. This lady answers the phone. They're looking for Mary. Mary doesn't live here. Well, Mary doesn't live here. Well, I'm sorry. I must have the wrong number. Well, maybe not. <laughs> and so this woman was telling how she, she kept the lady on the line. And shared the gospel with her, and the lady accepted Christ over the phone. That was a wrong number. Uh, Art Fowler. Oh my goodness. Art Fowler. Now, I say, oh my goodness, because I have used this illustration several times this summer, and I can never remember his name. And just standing there, Art Fowler came to mind. Please write that down. Art Fowler was a guy who could walk into a room here, look around the room, find somebody, and say, oh, I'm going to go talk to you. I was in a Denny's in Lexington, Kentucky, for a conference, and into the Denny's walks Art. And I'm working, come on sit with us. I looked around the room, there was a woman sitting in a booth all by herself. He walked over, he pulled out his business card, and he said, I'm Art Fowler, I'm a, I'm a uh, personnel, a personal, Counselor or something. Yeah. And, and could I talk to him? That was Art Fowler. Was, he's on I twenty. I think it's twenty five that goes down to Denver. I twenty five. He's on I twenty five. There's a there's a motorhome in front of him from Wyoming. He's in Denver. He goes around that motorhome and beats the horn, beats the horn, and flies him off, flies him off, flies him off. So they pull off. Art gets out of his car, walks by, the guy, the driver, puts the window down with him. What do you want? Art said, I just wanted to welcome you folks to dinner. And if there's a restaurant at the next exit, truck stop, if you get off there, I'll buy you lunch. So he did. They got off, he bought them lunch, and led them to the world. But, you know, not everybody's an art foul. Not everybody's an art foul. Now, Paul and Janet know George. George messed George was like that. George would talk to anybody and everybody about the gospel. Even as George got in worse health, actually getting in worse health helped him because he, they had to come and take him to the hospital or take him to the doctor or take him here and pick him up and bring him back. Well, that gave him people to talk to. And one night, one time his wife was in the hospital, right, getting ready for surgery. They came in to give him a shot, pre-op shot, and, and he's talking to the nurse. And his wife's lying there, George, they wouldn't give me my shot. They wouldn't give me my shot. George. And he's, he's sharing the gospel with this nurse. 
Not everybody's like that. Not everybody's like that. But one thing we can all do, though, is at least get out of gospel track. Get out of gospel track. We, I, I was in a church, I, my, my first church in Michigan. Can I go on just a second? Maybe I'll take this one problem. Uh, my first church in Michigan, many, many years ago, uh, we were going to have, we had, uh, kids are going to become a Christian. That we had, uh, it was in Casbillia, Michigan, Kansas City, Michigan, in that area. And, and they had Casbillia. And so they asked the church, would you like to have a float in the parade? Okay. And then they had goose, um, food goose. You could sell brownies and stuff. So yeah, we'll do that. And so we got in the parade and, and we passed out tracks all over the parade route, all everybody. And then we had a food booth. So I said on Sunday, the week before, I said on Sunday, now ladies, back in those days you could say that, you didn't offend anybody. <laughs> now you ladies and you people who might think you are, um, on Saturday, don't forget to bring your cookies and your brownies and the stuff for their booth. And, uh, and then as people buy them, we're going to put them in a bag, and then we'll put a gospel track in the bag so everybody who comes to our booth We'll get the gospel. Well, we're leaving church. You know, like, I don't know how many ladies carry the Bible like this anymore, but they used to do that. So she had her Bible like this, and she came to the door, and I shook her hand, and she said, Pastor, I'd love to come Saturday, but I just couldn't do that. She said, oh, I could never put a tract in the bag. I could never put a track in the bag. And I looked at it, and I said, would you hand me your Bible? And she went like this. And I said, praise God, you can do it. <laughs> you can do it, because that's all it takes, isn't it? <laughs> little elbow and wrist action, that's it. Yeah. Take it. And she looked at me and she walked out. And she came Saturday. She came Saturday because I healed her. But, but we all can do it. And, and I'm not sure how much farther we can get here. Oh, I'm going to go past this because last week, we did this last week and had a couple of people who had no idea on writing the body or anything. And we actually got into the thing that got us off course. And I love that. And so we did that. But anyway, we must be oriented to the soul, uh, soul winning in order to effectively execute this. If we're not, if we're not, if we don't have a passion for the lost, if we don't recognize there's lost people out there, if we don't recognize that America is a lost nation, then we aren't going to be sharing the gospel. And, and like we talked about the first night, the hindrances to the gospel is that we live in a nation where uh, you know, 71% of Americans are believers, are Christians, are Christians. But what's a, what's a Christian? Remember what a Christian is? What is it? Anybody who's not a, a Jew, a Muslim, a Hindu, or a Buddhist, or a member of some world religious cult, or some other cult, or... Um, uh, and or is, is associated with a church some way or attends services at least a few times a year. That's a Christian. That's a Christian. 
according to the study. Uh, and which means what? The study is relatively worthless. Relatively worthless. But we need to, we need to be oriented to what God wants us to do. First of all, oriented to the, what Christ did for us. What he did for us. And then secondly, what he expects of us in return. He expects of us to be his servant, to be his ambassador. Correct? So it's not like we're saved and now let's just live till we die. No, we're actually saved to serve. We're set free to serve. And and uh, so we need that. Alright? Some qualifications of the soul winner. Number one, you must be saved to know. I don't know, Randy might remember this. Back in the 70s, they had all these evangelistic programs. T73. And, and everybody in church, everybody that went to church in the city was to come, you can come and we're going to do this. And the church didn't matter. We're all going to come. You could be knocking on the door with someone who needed Christ. Themselves. Uh, a couple years ago, we had a big thing in Grand Rapids. I forget what it was called. Susan and I, of course, it was going to be there right after we headed out. But Susan took the online course to be one of the friends. They didn't call them witnesses, they called them friends. And, and she went to the entire course. First of all, you had to give your name and that, you know, all those kinds of things. There wasn't one thing about your own spiritual condition. That was kind of irrelevant. Uh, and and then, then you could take the course. And in the course, they never once shared the gospel. It was just basically a, a social, you have a walk with God. You need a walk with God. Let me lead you to a walk with God. And, and that was it. And, and everybody, all the churches and colleges in town were just flocking and having courses and having people come and take that class. And all, they were all getting involved in it. And we're, and we're sitting back thinking, what are they getting involved with? nothing here because you were not allowed to bring your own tracks. You were not allowed to bring your own Bible. You were not allowed to do it. You had to use everything they gave you. And everything they gave you was basically neutral. Why? Why would it be neutral? They didn't want to offend anybody. No. You know, when I was a kid, we'll go back to when I was a kid and you probably had the same thing. Vacation Bible school. Who had vacation Bible school? Basically, Bible churches. Correct? Bible churches. Had or had? Had. They were Bible schools. They were Bible churches. Usually, fundamentally, evangelical, back when evangelical meant something, evangelical churches, Bible churches, had Bible schools. Drive around today. Who has them today? Everybody. There's no denominational barrier. None. Everybody has. What do they say? Well, what can they say? They've watered them down because it's marketing. When you put all that money into developing a program, you want as many people as you can to buy it, correct? Now, if you want as many people to buy it, or as many churches to buy it as possible, what do you have to do with it? 
you just make marshmallow out of it. It's just fun. You know, love God. Love God. Love God. Be honest. Be honest. You don't teach anything. And yet you drive around the city and you'll see that one or two that's popular every year and their standard will be in all kinds of churches. All kinds of churches. You know they're not teaching anything. You know they're not teaching anything. And we have to be, to, to share the gospel, you yourself have to be saved and know. Saved and know. Um, you must be yielded to God's will. Romans 12, um, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, and pleasing unto God, which is your reasonable service. We must be yielded to God's will. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Ephesians 5.15. I don't think you're here yet. Go to Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians 5.15. It says then, Are they in line? Alright. 